Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. And welcome to episode eight of Out With Susie Ruffle. A big thanks to everyone that has rated, reviewed and shared the podcast. It really feels like this pod is growing and finding its audience, which is wonderful. So I hope that you're doing okay today. I'm pretty good, although I must admit this week has been a bit tougher for me. It was the week that Alice and I were supposed to get married. And I'll be honest, we've had a few tears, a few bottles of fizz, and I actually feel a lot better about it now. I'm sure lots of you are listening and will have had similar things cancelled and postponed and it is totally gutting. I hope that you're doing all right. We've had a fair few emails in from key workers and those that are within the NHS. I just want to send you guys so much love and thank you for keeping the UK going and for looking after people. Okay, let's crack on with today's show. First off, as always, we have some letters. Well, I say letters. It's very much emails from our listeners. First up, one from a listener who wants to remain anonymous. I've been loving the podcast, thank you so much for making it. Here is my sort of half coming out story. I grew up in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, so not much gay culture or role models. We were told at 13 we had to be well-behaved, good girls, study hard, and above all else, be virgins. I didn't even consider that I would get to date or know my future husband before our marriage was agreed by the heads of our families. I think I hoped at best I would be able to object to prospective partners, but definitely never choose my own. When I was 16, I was very much in love with my female best friend. Male friends were not allowed. And we actually kissed on my 16th birthday. But the following morning, she told me we couldn't be friends anymore and I tried to push the feelings away. When I was 17, I moved myself across the world to go to university in the UK and I started to enjoy the first taste of freedom. I had my first boyfriend, which lasted almost all of my undergraduate. I was expecting us to get married because that's what good girls do. When the relationship ended, I was lost. Even though I didn't love him, I couldn't let go the idea that I could only love one man, which had been drilled into me so hard by my family back home. In a way, knowing I could never marry a Kurdish man because I was no longer a virgin set me free. And I went on so many dates, most tragic. I had a few more relationships with men until my sister tried to present her white British boyfriend to my dad and was met with a harsh rejection. Then I realised me having a partner I wanted and a relationship with my family was not an option. I started to date women. But I didn't text all my friends all the details like I normally did. I kept it to myself because I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about actually living out my lesbian desires. Turns out, I'm a big gay. And I wasted so much time pushing it under the carpet. I'm now in love with the most beautiful woman. I could cry just thinking about how happy I am. I feel like I'm not acting out a role in a relationship but actually in one. 
I never came out to my parents as they would disown me, but I have just started casually talking about dates with my girlfriend at work and invited her out with some of my friends and sister and everyone has been super accepting. Thank you so much for sharing that. You sound so brave and I'm so delighted that you're so very happy. Okay, from Iraq to Australia. I've also kept this one anonymous because I would hate to share something that you didn't want me to. Dear Susie, your podcast has come into my life at an oddly fortuitous time. I was introduced to it by Joe Lysett's tweets recommending it and very quickly went back and listened to every episode available. As an aside note, I think he'd be a fascinating guest for your podcast and I hope you're able to get him on at some point. Just to let you know, uh, we've already done the interview. He's going to be the final um, episode of the series, episode 10, and it was bloody great. So um, yeah, I hope you really enjoy it. Right, back to the letter. I'm currently in the process of coming out, both to myself and to others, and your podcast has been an incredible encouragement to me, as well as being a great way for me to learn about the LGBTQ plus community, of which I don't have a huge access to. This email sat in my drafts for two weeks because I was so nervous to send it. It feels heavy and not fully resolved, so I wasn't sure whether to send it on to you. But hearing other stories has been such a comfort to me, and I don't really have another platform to share it, so I thought I'd share it with you. I grew up in a relatively conservative family in a rural town just west of Sydney, Australia. My high school was a rural Anglican boarding school, which actively taught me that homosexuality was a sin and an abstinence-only sex education. I didn't know many queer people growing up and I never considered myself to be anything except straight. Though looking back, I had these incredibly intense female friendships where I would have done almost anything to gain the approval of certain girlfriends and almost modelled my entire personality after whichever girlfriend I was currently obsessed with. As I moved into my later teenage years, I realised I wanted to kiss the girls the same way I wanted to kiss the boys. But my friends always joked about their girl crushes and how they'd turn lesbian for certain female celebrities. So I figured that all straight women felt this way. I knew I wasn't gay because I really like kissing boys, so the only other option was to assume that I was straight. I moved to Sydney four years ago for university and was suddenly exposed to people from so many different backgrounds and lives. I started to learn about different sexualities. That being said, I was so riddled with internalised homophobia that I couldn't acknowledge any alternative to me being straight, so the only time I would mention it is when I got sloppily drunk and crying. This was inevitably followed by me frantically backtracking when I was sober the next morning. The last few months have been a period of extreme personal growth for me. Following a mental breakdown and suicide attempt in January, I spent a lot of time focusing on my mental and emotional health medicated and with a great psychologist and a much healthier substance relationship, I've been able to start to come to terms with my sexuality, which at 22 feels like I'm late to the game. Just a month ago, I accepted myself as a pansexual woman. I'm attracted to people of all genders and I'm really proud of that. I've come out to a few friends who have been so incredibly supportive, although it is tiring sometimes to feel like you're the one that has to educate them on the entirety of LGBTQ plus issues when I'm only just learning them myself. I've been seeking out queer role models. Joe Lysett and Mae Martin have been huge ones for me. And once this lockdown is over, I hope I can find some ways to integrate myself into the LGBTQ plus community. I'm yet to come out to my family. The idea terrifies me, but I hope sometime soon I have the courage and self-confidence to entrust them with this part of myself. Thank you so much for your beautiful podcast and the platform you give to the stories of your guests. They are such an encouragement to me and help me feel less like I am on my own in this journey, even on the other side of the world. Much love.
Well, much love to you too. I'm sorry to hear that you've had such a tricky time, especially in January, but it's so wonderful to hear how well you're doing now. And I'm so delighted that you're enjoying the podcast and it's meaning something to you. And thank you for getting in touch. I know that your story is going to resonate with lots and lots of listeners. So thank you for sharing. Okay. Now on to this week's interview. Now, quite a few people have been in touch to ask if we could include some more trans or non-binary voices. Well, this week we have just that, a brilliant interview with my friend Jules. Jules is a non-binary speaker, LGBTQ plus awareness trainer, consultant, social campaigner, activist and writer. They have been professionally public speaking since 2013. Their career started working in mental health and resilience, working closely with the Amy Winehouse Foundation in its early days. They soon become a freelance speaker and consultant. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jules and I hope that you do too. I am here today with a public speaker, activist, campaigner, model, an event runner. And uh, many years ago, uh, they worked in television. That was how I first met them. I'm sure we'll get to that uh, later on. But we're with my friend Jules. And um, Jules, tell me how to say your surname again. It's Guaitamaki. Guatemaki. Guatemaki. Yeah. Jules Guatemaki. <laughs> um, okay, Jules, um, that's how your work biog would, des- would describe you. Yeah. Um, how would you describe yourself? Uh, it's really hard to say, like a human, essentially. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm human. And um, I do so many things that I struggle to name exactly what it is that I do a lot of the time. Uh, but essentially, I'd say that I work towards the inclusion and equality of the transgender community. That is my aim within my personal life and also my professional life. Okay, great. And how would you describe yourself in regards to gender? Uh, With regards to gender, so I I identify as non-binary and I just want to say that I don't speak on behalf of the non-binary community. I believe that uh, what it means to be non-binary to me is probably different to every other non-binary person. I believe that gender identity is a personal experience and um, for me, it just means that I don't exclusively identify as either male or female. So you're you're a non-binary person. But you've referred to yourself as trans a few times. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit sure, for me, please? Absolutely. And, and some non-binary people don't identify as transgender, whereas uh, lots of non-binary people do identify as transgender. So a kind of basic definition of what it means to be transgender is anyone whose um, who's assigned sex doesn't match their gender identity. So the sex they were assigned at birth mm-hmm. doesn't match their gender identity, which is quite a broad definition. And when we're talking about gender identity, it's sort of that essence of how you feel mm. inside right it's, is that, it's is internal that right? yeah. yeah so sex you were assigned at birth is how you're born uh, and it's physical yep. and your gender identity is an internal sense of who you are so it's you know just like cisgender mm-hmm. which cisgender means people that aren't trans so most yep. people and again um, for anyone that is thinking that's a new word it's not cis is latin there you go um, it comes from from uh, the latin same side of right on okay. the same side of right okay that's what it means and it's like saying heterosexual yep, sure. or straight. Yep. Um, same thing, cisgender. So most people are cisgender, but um, some people that are transgender are merely people that aren't, that sex and gender don't align. And that mm-hmm. that's such a broad, broad term. Mm-hmm. That can mean so many different things. And um, the non-binary sort of umbrella can, can also come underneath, come under the trans definition. Because okay. if you think of trans meaning well, the sex I was assigned at birth doesn't match my gender identity, then that can mean non-binary people too because they're somewhere in the middle. Sure. Like some, some trans people are binary, some people aren't. Right, okay. And if the trans person was binary, that would mean that they... Are either male or female. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, great. And I mean, that's the case with, I mean, this whole podcast. You'll hear things from people all across the spectrum of the LGBT plus community. And it's really important that, you know, it's always just that person's experience. It's, you know, it's my experience as a gay woman. And that might be really different to how somebody else feels. And it might be different to how they feel about a whole number of things. But all we can do is be sort of a good version of ourselves and talk about that, I oh. guess. Um, so let's kick off. So your surname's Italian. That's yes. where you're... Is that just your dad's side of the family that are from Italy? It is. I was actually born there. Right. So uh, Whereabouts? I, was, I was born in Milan. Lovely. Yeah. And, you're, and you're very fashionable. Do you think that's well, late? Well, <laughs> might be something to do with it. In a um, neck. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Milan's a wonderful place. Um, Italy. I was actually born there and I moved over to this country when I was five. So English was not my first language. So do you speak fluent Italian? I do. That's cool. I was about to say hot, but it's hot and cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's hot and cool and clever and lots of other things as well. (laughs) So... um so I'm guessing you don't have that many memories of Italy. No, I, I do have some memories of Italy. I've got quite a few of them, actually. And I remember actually coming over to this country and not being able to speak to people, which is bizarre for me because obviously I, I feel like English is... Like, I speak English fluently. Um, but there was such a long period of time where I just couldn't communicate with people at school and I didn't, you know... And I feel like that has had an imp- that had an impact on me then, but I still think that I still carry some of that. Like, you know, I still struggle sometimes socially um, and get a bit of anxiety when I with communication due to the fact that, you know, it wasn't my first language. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do you find it when you're speaking in Italian you still have that sort of slight social anxiety? I do, yeah. Right, so yeah. maybe it's just like there was a brief period yeah. where you were, like, muted. Yes. And it's just kept in there somewhere. Yeah. And I actually forgot Italian. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I forgot it. So when I moved over to this country and then I, I didn't go back to Italy for, for a number of years, um, I saw my dad again for the first time in a few years and I couldn't speak to him and I just wow. lost my Italian. That's really interesting. Yeah, weird, right? So what kind of kid were you? So you got over to the UK, and so I suppose you were quiet. I was quite, I was very quiet. Yeah, yeah. which is surprising now because I know you socially as well. <laughs> I can't stop talking now. No, but that's great. You're on a podcast, yeah. mate. That's exactly yeah. what you're on. So tell me about the kind of kid you were. Uh, yeah, I was definitely very quiet. But, you know, I was like any other kid. Um, I was what I'd see as like a regular child from five to the age of sort of eight years old. Because you said, I've like been reading, you sent me like a little, it's, it's an interesting one, this <laughs> episode, because I know you. I was really aware that I didn't mm. want to make assumptions about mm. you like I know you from I mean we'll get into all of this as the mm. podcast continues but I you said oh do you want me to send you like a little up-to-date biog of my life and I was like oh yeah that's really helpful <laughs> even though that's not sort of something you normally receive from a friend but you said in it um that you sort of lived inside like your imagination yeah during no. those years when you were a kid yeah. and so do you think that was probably an easier place to be I think so and like this is the thing when when referring to my gender identity and how that sort of not just developed but how it was kind of there innately there mm-hmm. um, when I reflect back on my early experiences they were quite stressful like obviously you know I was moved away from my home country there mm-hmm. was you know a breakup between my parents I had to learn the language there was like sort of little space to kind of really communicate like acknowledge who I was and communicate that but I do remember at a very early age around about five years old where I used to kind of have a dressing up box at home like I used to have like a make-believe world where when I was on my own I used to dress up in all these different clothes like suits I used to wear a tie I used to slick my hair back and put it under a wig so 
Even, and I mean, yeah. to you as a child then, obviously you didn't have the vernacular for what non-binary was, but mm. do you think then you were like, oh, I want to be like a boy for a couple of hours? Yeah, Do absolutely. you think that's how we're... Yeah, okay. Yeah, so at a young age, I believed or I had a sense that I was a boy. Okay. Um, and I remember I used to tell a lot of my friends that I was a boy. I oh, used really? to, yeah. <laughs> no, I've got a few friends that I was like, no, nope, I'm a boy. And right. um, they'd be like, no, you're not. So it's always been quite handy that you've got Jules as your name, which is right. non gender but specific. It's not my birth name. Oh. No. Even though you've known me as Jules, always and you, and you Jules. knew me before. Yeah. I actually changed my name in year eight because my geography teacher used to call me Jules, and I was like, I like that. And I didn't know why I like that, but okay. I know why I like that today. And that's because... It's my, non-specific. It's non-specific. It's neutral. Yeah, And that's absolutely. something that felt so comfortable to me that I used to insist my friends called me. Yeah. Even though Well, that's how a, you introduced yourself to me, what, eight years ago, probably? Yeah, yeah. Way back when. Way back when. So then you, you have this little imaginary world, you learn the language, mm. you make some friends, you still feel an otherness? Yeah. Is that a way to describe it's it? It's hard to say because when I think back, like I definitely, there were so, so many like parts of me that believed I was like male or a boy. And then I used to kind of present that way. Like I explored like masculine expression, mm -hmm. which again is a social construct, but you know, I was exploring like more but male. Our listeners totally understand. Totally. Even, you you know, they can totally have yeah. an idea of what that means. So that's totally cool. Absolutely. You know? Like I just explored more like masculine clothes mm -hmm. and male clothes. And I used to tuck my, I had like really long blonde curly hair. Mm -hmm. And I used to wear this like black fluffy hat that looked like a wig, like a Dennis the Menace huh. like, wig. Great. <laughs> and I used to tuck all my hair into this like hat. And I remember this woman, um, I, I was going to church with my mum. Sure. Um, and I, there was a woman that said, look at that little boy's hair. And I remember that my mum used to laugh about that in like social situations with her friends, like in front of me. And bless her, she didn't realise that she no, was doing sure. anything to offend me. No, like no, she no. thought it was funny. Um, but I remember like feeling like a sense of shame because she was doing that. Like like referring to me as a boy was like a, a negative thing. Whereas I think on the inside, it was something that I really enjoyed experiencing. Yeah, at that sure. Age. Well, I remember people mistaking me for a boy when I was a very when I was a tomboy when I was in my teens, and I quite enjoyed it. I'd be like, I quite liked that they, it wasn't that I, I mean, I, I'm very comfortable in the gender mm. that I present as, as a cis woman, but I sort of liked that they didn't know. Mm. It sort of made me feel like I had like a secret power. Absolutely. Do you mean like, oh, you don't know this about me and I can sort of get away with, I can, I guess it was partly like acting and, and I'm mm. sure there's loads of people that are sort of straight cis people that would also agree like, oh yeah, when I was going through my teenage years, I kind of liked mm. exploring those different parts of myself. So you mentioned then that you were going to church. Are your family religious? Um, my mum was at one point. My dad's side of the family are religious. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I know so many religious people within the LGBT community. I know so many religious trans people. And it's like, religion in itself isn't exclusionary. It's like people, I believe that you can dress bigotry up. Oh, absolutely. Like with anything. Oh, yeah. I had a great chat with um, Ruth Hunt, who's the mm -hmm. ex-CEO of Stonewall. Yeah. And, you know, she, she was talking on, on the episode I did with her about how she comes out as a lesbian and then comes out as a Christian. Yeah. And, and people find it hard to merge those two things. But then... Of course, everything is for everyone, and there's no need to deny yourself yeah. that if you are a person that is in the LGBT plus community. Absolutely. 
And so, if anything, it's important that people that are in that in the community speak out and be proud of their religion and say, yeah, totally. I'm a religious. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, spirituality isn't, there's no bigotry within that. You no. know, it's it's what people want to sort of find within themselves. So um, so what were you like as a teenager? So when it's sort of, because I remember puberty kicking in for me. I was, I, I didn't start my period until quite late. I was quite a late developer because I was into gymnastics and I was mm. sporty. And I quite liked the fact that I stayed sort of, None of the boys wanted to touch any parts of me, which was absolutely ideal. And I liked the fact that I didn't, that I wasn't becoming one of those girls in the year that had like massive boobs and were really feminine. I liked that I sort of was hidden. How was, how was that? I don't know, I don't know starting secondary school, let's start there. What was that like? Well, secondary school for me, and I, so I started secondary school when I was 11. Yep. So it was kind of like just pre puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I was quite like tall and skinny, quite androgynous at that age. And I remember that the summer before I started secondary school, I'd actually had my hair cut really short. So it'd been long for such a long mm-hmm. time. And I got it cut short. Um, and I remember the freedom of having short hair and feeling like really happy about it. And starting secondary school um, was a horrendous experience for me. It really was because I went into a secondary school on my own. I didn't have like any immediate friends around me. And um, um, whereabouts in the UK was this? This is West London. Okay, cool. Yeah, just to give us a um, an and, image. And I had all these friends, and I went into a, a sort of classroom with no one. And um, I, I mean, I was bullied from day one, right? Uh, for having short hair, for being quite masculine presenting, and I was kind of like thrown. The comments that were thrown at me were like boy, lesbian, yeah. like on a daily basis and I'd never really been bullied before and I didn't know how to deal with that scenario at the time so I just I just ignored it I tried to ignore the comments that were made but it happened just like day in and day out and because I had like difficulty at home like there were things going on with my parents and my mum you know life at that time was really 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 difficult like quite tough Um, and I think that I ended up feeling even more shame about the way that I was and wanted to be and express myself. So after that experience, I ended up just moving school and just conforming to being like everybody else. You left the school because it was just too bad. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, so So then did you sort of try and become, and I'm saying, doing this inverted commas, listeners, normal? Yeah. Was it like, okay, I'm going to just fit right in, go to the new school, and is that did that happen? That's essentially what happened. And, okay. and I think part of the issue was, and this is why I do what I do for a living, like public speaking and training, working in schools. Um, Section 28 was a thing when I was at school. Sure. And actually yeah. when you were at school. So yeah, it was absolutely. illegal yeah. to promote homosexuality in any form. You couldn't teach it. It wasn't yeah. part of the curriculum. And when we say promote, for those listening, because there'll be people that are listening overseas, um, when we say don't promote it, it actually meant don't even mention gay people. So even the, even the mention of a gay person's existence mm. was being to seen to promote it. Yeah, just to give people a bit of sort of knowledge of what that is. And that went for any local authority as well. So yeah. not even just at school. So I mean, there's an amazing picture of Theresa May holding a sign that says "Don't spread lesbianism oh, in girls' schools." I mean, it's amazing. I'll text it to you later. Yes, please do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I'll tweet it when I put this episode up so people can see what it looks like. Um, so. Right, so you were in this new school. So, you know, the heteronormative world that I was brought up in, which is the idea that heterosexuality is the preferred and desired, you know, way of living your life. Yep. Uh, And because Section 28 was enforced, I had no point of reference. No one was kind of 
encouraging me to be who I was um, and and just to be free and be proud of that. So I kind of went through life learning that it wasn't okay to be who who I was and Mm -hmm. to stay true to myself. Therefore, uh, I began to hide those parts of myself in order to fit in and in order to survive and not like come into contact or experience discrimination or bullying um, which you know when you're going through it day in day out as a young person that it had like honestly it had such a part to play in my mental health how I felt about my self-esteem you know I just developed all this internalized shame yeah I mean I've I've described it on stage before I think in in my last show maybe as having a backpack of shame yeah and it's like heavy and you carry every day and some days you're with people where you can feel like you can take it off but a lot of the time you mm. feel like oh god i've got to lug this around with me absolutely um okay so then it's an interesting one with you because you've had sort of two comings out because mm. when i met you yep. uh you were a lesbian am i allowed to say yes, that? Is absolutely. that okay, no, i'm good. absolutely comfortable with that okay, and i cool. know a lot of trans people aren't but i am sure perfectly happy to, to, well, we can to talk, only talk about, about that your, we're talking about your experience yeah. so we don't we don't try and yeah. speak for anyone else on this Not show other than ourselves so I met you because you worked in telly I did and I was opening and I was I'd just become friends with Alan Carr uh, you yeah. remember you just so been signed came, off the curb I'd just been signed off the curb so I, you were working on Chatty Man yeah and I came down to a record yes and we sort of started talking and I think we did that classic thing which we do in our community where I went there's a lesbian I'm a lesbian want to be friends and we did yes and that was sort of what happened it and was then, so that's sort of the person that I knew yeah. then I mean which is <laughs> The same person that sat in front of me. Exactly. Um, but so you you came out as a lesbian when, when you were I don't know in your late teens or in your early twenties. Well, it, I was kind of in and out of the closet. So I spent the majority of my like teens conforming and sure. kind of self destructing because I was you know damaged and, and how, from my childhood. How did that? When you say self destructing, what do you mean? Um, I mean, there's various reasons that I um, relied. Like I, you know, there was some substance misuse issues. Sure. There was there was eating disorders yes depression anxiety the whole thing because i know that you said to me before that you your weight yes became something yeah. that was yeah was a thing yeah, yeah. so i'd so, starve myself i'd binge be, and purge would that be a punishment of yourself or would that be because you were trying to be less I, female i was trying to control my curves basically right, okay, so sure. i was trying to reduce my chest size and my hip size and at the time i didn't know that and it's something that i've looked back on and realized was happening because i knew i had an eating disorder i just didn't know and when did that How kick in? That? I kind of kicked in in my late, like, sort of mid to late teens. Yeah, So okay. I was doing a lot of, like, you know, hiding food and that kind of thing. But I was very, very focused on my image. And it was all about, like, getting as thin as possible. Okay. Um, and and I were you quite girly then? Or was this when you... Yeah, I was quite girly. I was quite right, okay. femme as well. So that's yeah. sort of, like, again, like, the way that I expressed myself, I had no idea about what I liked and disliked. Like, I was so caught up in what... I thought I should be for everyone else that mm. I completely lost myself like it's almost like I knew from an early age like from a young age and then I got like churned through this system and I I just was totally lost but not just that like my mental health suffered so much and I was constantly trying to find ways to alleviate the discomfort that I felt within myself as a result of essentially A, being trans, B, having undergone like, you know, huge childhood trauma. So there were so many factors, but I I essentially tried to find ways to, to survive and to cope with that. And I, I look at my eating disorder and I'm like, you know, that was a way that I, at the time,
and helped me get through a situation that I had no other kind of access of support. Because it was something you could control? Yes. And you had so little control? Absolutely. So controlling my body would alleviate that discomfort that I felt with my body at that time. And, you know, you talk quite openly about your mental health. Mm. Is that a case? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So with regards to your mental health, was that anxiety? Was it depression? Was it a mixture of all these things? I mean, it's, yeah, and it's always always difficult to talk about because I, you know, it it happened at that time. Sure. You know, I still suffer with mental health issues, but Mm -hmm. specifically in my late teens, early 20s, um, it was out of control. Like, I really, really, yeah, it was, you know, the people around me didn't know what to do. I experienced homelessness at 18. I was just on, like, drinking and drugging, and I was completely, like, May I say suicidal? Yeah, of course. Is that okay? Like yeah, content warning. Sorry, yeah, I said no, that absolutely. too late. Absolutely, but it's really important that people know that yeah. you know the journey to becoming someone that is comfortable within themselves is sometimes mm. so harrowing and so difficult that maybe if we could just be a little bit kinder yeah. and take a moment to oh, yeah. see the journey that they've had, people might be a little bit and nicer. a lot of the time people don't know like when you meet people for the first time like i meet people today they've got no idea where i came from or of what my history was and what i went through when i was younger um and a lot of people make assumptions we all make assumptions yeah, based constantly. on what someone looks like or how they behave but mm-hmm. at the time like i was a seriously damaged you know unhappy and unwell individual and you know it's not me that was damaged it was the world that I was born into damaged me. Yeah. And that, I think that's what I've learned. That actually, there was nothing wrong with me. You know, I was born into a family that couldn't care for me. You know, I was born into a body that didn't belong to me, uh, with a gender identity that didn't match the sex that I was assigned at birth. So that was just suppressed deep, deep down. Um, and it's something that I haven't really been able to address uh, until I started addressing all the mental health issues. So they talk about like peeling the layers of the onion. Right. And I had to peel so many layers before I could really get to the core. But for me, uh, my journey of recovery has taken me to this journey of self-discovery. So it's like in order for me to truly be free of everything that was that happened to me and to be free of all my mental health issues, I had to address you know, this issue of gender. And that's okay. where I got to okay, after great. like 10, 11 years. Okay, great. So if we can go back a little bit. So sure. when, so for example, when we met, yep. you were working in telly. Yes. You were doing, you were still doing like a number of different things. And I know that we would go out clubbing. Mm, I remember. We would go to like queer places. Wingmen. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you'd sometimes have to take me home yes. when I was drunk. Yeah. Uh, because Jules is a good friend like that. And, um, you know, you lived yeah. as a, an out gay woman yeah, for a, a, gay a number, woman. Yeah, that's a number the, of years. That's the first thing that I began to acknowledge, I think. Okay. Um, I'd never met a trans person. I didn't really understand what it meant to be trans. But one thing that I did acknowledge within myself is the fact that I wasn't straight. So I recognised the fact that I was attracted to other women. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I kind of battled with because I was so ashamed of who I was inherently that I kind of, I didn't want, like I swore to myself when I was like 15 that I'd never tell anyone. Like never. And that's a conversation that I had within myself. But I mean, that can't help your anxiety, your depression. (laughs) your feeling yeah. of lossless your feeling of other mm. and I felt like I was harboring this like dirty secret mm-hmm. um, and I eventually you know in my I must have been late teens uh, started to recognise the fact like that I wanted to tell people and that it was okay um, there was lots of like lesbian couples at college as well and I remember Great. seeing that and thinking oh it's okay it's so affirming so you mm-hmm. saw those girls and you thought okay yeah, it's part okay. of me <laughs> lines up with that yeah. so for the time being 
or yeah. not for the time being because you had no idea. Well, that's who I thought I was. You went, so okay, that's fine. That's, that's me. That's... Start exploring that and start coming out to people. And I told yep. my mum and I started kind of dating and finding... Wearing a lot of eyeliner, can I say? Tons of eyeliner. So much eyeliner. <laughs> so much eyeliner. Tons. Modelling myself on Shane from the L Word. Uh, oh, if, yeah, you really right? did. Yeah, did. you really did. You yeah. had the hair and everything. I did have the... <laughs> <laughs> Learning my early sure. kind of. You but know, that's what we do, don't yeah. we? We like we mirror people that we think are like yeah. us. Certainly, when we're first coming out. Yeah. Um, Which was really interesting. So um, yeah, I started to explore that world and find kind of lesbian social spaces, and I, you know, I felt that sense of oh, you know, it's okay to be who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool. And you were for a while comfortable there or did it always feel like there was a little part of the jigsaw that wasn't right I think like there was like I felt comfortable in the sense that I was allowed to sort of explore my sexual orientation and be with people that I was attracted to sure but I still had a major problem when it came to how I felt about myself and that kind of really showed itself um, in terms of again not necessarily content warning but uh Sex life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Sex life, that that's where I started to realise I had issues around my body, which because I couldn't put my finger on. Would that be because you didn't like being nude in front of people or you were embarrassed of your chest or your, you know, whatever part of your body? Was that... I had, like, it, it's because certain parts of my body just used to cause so much discomfort. So I struggled generally anyway with my body, but I think that... Yeah, I just couldn't quite... Be, I could, didn't feel comfortable naked. I, I yeah. just didn't feel comfortable naked And I mean, entirely. that's such a... <clears throat> you know, when you're in a new relationship or mm. when you're dating someone, that first that's part of the exciting bit. Yeah. And so you were sort of denied that. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out where it came from because I thought, you know, does that come from, like, my history or does that come... Like, where does that come from? And I remember I was about 27, actually, and I was seeing a therapist at the time, and he was a top, top, like, addiction sort of trauma hotshot therapist mm-hmm. that you know I managed to see at that time um, and I remember saying do you know do you think I could be trans do you think that I might be transgender could that be the issue and he said to me no I don't think you're trans I think you've got internalised homophobia right. and that kind of set me off course for the next like three or four years I do was you think like, that was oh. true at all do you, do you think you had any internalised homophobia I mean I believed him when he said that sure and I understand where he's coming from. Right, okay, and he's yeah. a gay man himself, so I okay. get that. Um, but I know, I think you that I was on it. Said. And then he kind of like, bless him, because he didn't, he, he's not aware of these issues. So I just ended up kind of getting swept off course. And actually, I was absolutely right. That's exactly what it was. That was the issue. The fact right. that I was so uncomfortable in my body and I couldn't, you know, figure out why that was. And so you moved down to Brighton because I feel yes. like that's when yeah. that's when everything happened. Yeah, because I feel like so you and my friend Jules, who was a lesbian, yeah. you were moving down to Brighton. Mm-hmm. We saw each other as we still do when we when we catch up. It's like we've never been apart. We're, it's really really fun, but yeah. we don't see each other all the time. No. And then I get a message from you saying, "I'm, I, I'm now my pronouns yeah. <laughs> are they, there and them." Yeah. So you went down to Brighton. What happened? That, it happened there. Right. Okay. Great. So um, is it because you met people? Yeah. That's just, that's basically what happened. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, as I said, grew up and never met a trans person. Didn't have any kind of education or awareness training. Um, not the greatest user of social media. And so when I moved to Brighton, I was seeing someone there at the time. Um, I met a different community, mm-hmm. so I was so kind of used to the lesbian gay 
sort of circles in yep. London. Whereas when I moved to Brighton, I went to a particular venue, which uh, is is known as a tra- like sort of queer venue, mm-hmm. uh, and I met somebody who invited me to an amazing exhibition called uh, the Museum of Transology, which was just opening at the Brighton Museum at the time, and this was back in 2017. And I was handed this gold ticket, and, and the person said, do you want to come to the launch of this event? And I thought, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and I was kind of, at that point, was questioning my gender identity. Like, I, I, I was aware of non-binary gender identities, and like when, I'd become aware. When did you first hear... Do you remember of hearing non-binary? Because do, there yeah. must have been something that went... There was. Huh? So it was my public speaking career, actually. Right, OK, so go on. I... Like because of my mental health background and what I struggled with as a young person, I got into public speaking and kind of advocating conversations around men- mental health in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I kind of started off running workshops, classrooms, uh, talking about mental health. And when I was more out as being sort of a lesbian or out about my sexual orientation in schools, it was requested by teachers that I go in and do like LGBT sessions with the children. Okay. I, I thought, okay, I, I will. Great, I'm yeah. not an expert because not everybody that's LGBT is an expert on absolutely No, of course, everything. but also great that that school's doing that. Go, <laughs> yeah, go no, those schools. Was, those schools are wicked. And, I, and then that was like, you know, quite a few years ago. And I thought, okay, I'm, well, I need to do some research. Like, sure. it's, I can't just talk about myself, but I need to be aware of like gender identities and diversity. So I started to do the work and I read into like different gender identities and I started to read up on sort of more gendered, non-conforming neutral terminology like Mm -hmm. non-binary because it's important to note that I think that a lot of people when we talk about trans issues and certainly when we talk about non-binary people some people are sort of quick to go this is a new thing this is this brand new thing where I mean the third gender has existed within many cultures you know including Indian cultures and cultures in Africa I mean all over the world really the third gender which I don't know if that is non-binary but it's it's an other yeah absolutely it's not not male or female there's always there's been an acceptance of an other gender in different cultures yeah absolutely but throughout history yeah absolutely like I was reading up I was trying to find out like like throughout history where they began to acknowledge like non-binary or gender diverse identities and I was reading something about like ancient Egypt or yeah. some kind of hieroglyphic that indicated that there could have been like a non-binary identity within ancient Egypt and I thought wow yeah so we've been around forever yeah absolutely um, and then obviously yeah like different countries around the world do recognize non-binary identities legally we have yet to do that in the UK but hopefully we're going to do that very soon and so what would that look like that would look like a passport that okay. says I'm non-binary or so you know, what would is there like obviously we have Miss Mr. Ms. yeah we've what got MX MX okay MX, great yeah, that's good to know you can access so I have MX's on my driver's license so okay. the DVA do uh, do gender neutral um, titles I've got it on my bank card but I still can't get that on my passport so okay. I have to choose either between male or female in terms of but I can access a male passport if I choose to right it's just that you know it's not who I am right <laughs> so, yeah but it might make travelling easier for me so um, so you're in the, so you go to this museum of transology yeah. Brighton Museum okay great um, 
lovely venue and I went to this exhibition and there were items there was poetry there was artwork there were there were like videos made and it was all around people's um, journey through transition so there were items donated there was even um, the the tissue that had been removed in formaldehyde wow that's very Damien Hirst very much so isn't it okay so they were kind of in a container of formaldehyde um, and they had like you know prescriptions to hormones and people's binders and but the poetry as well I've read a lot of people's poetries around how their feelings around their body and how they felt and that was the first time that I really started to like read through someone's experience and like feel quite emotional and recognize that I was identifying with it but not just that I was meeting I met hundreds of trans people in one night I mean and that must have felt I mean, it's huge. Like, even just how your face changed mm. then as you were talking yeah. about it. Was that, like, a huge relief? Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. It's Like, to see things like binders and to see, you know, prescriptions and all that yeah. stuff and to see all these people that had maybe finished that journey and were, mm. where they wanted to be within their body. Yeah. I met I met my best friend to this day, Liz, at that night, and she she's, like, the closest person to me. She's, like, family. Like, I just remember meeting all these people and I just felt this feeling of, like... Like, I just felt emotional mm-hmm. and I felt like I'd come home Amazing. for the first time. And it, it happened so suddenly. It was so overwhelming. But, you know, after that night, I had all these new friends and if not new family. And I remember bumping into Liz like a couple of days later in the street and she said, Jules. And I turned around and there she was. And ever since, we've literally been like siblings, like we're really close. And it, she went through this journey a lot earlier than I did. Um, well, she's older than I am, but mm-hmm. um, she'd already gone through the process of transition and she supported me throughout the entire thing. She's been there day in, day out. And, you know, I, I'm just so inspired by these people, you know, and the, the amount of abuse and discrimination and just on a day-to-day basis that I have personally witnessed people experience and 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 deal with Mm -hmm. and you know it's an entirely new world for me you know and it's I'm not saying that it's better or worse to be lesbian gay or transgender but I am saying that I came from a community of people where I did find a level of acceptance and Mm -hmm. it was okay and then I, I you know transitioning and then becoming non-binary was just an entirely new world and it's you know with a new set of prob- issues and sure. it's almost like it, it 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 is now for the trans community what it was like for the lesbian and gay community in sort of the 80s you yeah. know where they're fighting for visibility they're fighting for their right to exist yeah um they're trying to educate people and there's all these kind of biases around and social acceptability of being transphobic which just blows my mind you know i can't even put a program on without hearing something that's just so offensive um and then i recognize just how much that's affecting not just my community but the young people that i meet at school um you know because i'm meeting a lot of young trans people now like in the last two or three years you know because i've been going into schools for the last seven years and it's only been in the last couple of years where there are more and more and more trans people and you know it's not that we've somehow brainwashed them because that is again another myth it's the fact that they are now able to access information and identify themselves sooner and that's just something that i wish i had the chance to do at a younger age because i think i would have avoided so many of the issues that i went through um and i spoke to a lot of people who'd um transitioned and obviously um um, 
it was AFAB, like a, a sign female at birth, people who had transitioned. Oh, what's that? I don't know that. So AFAB. Uh, oh, AFAB. For, yeah, so right, okay. a sign female at birth. Right, okay, people fine. People who had transitioned to being sort of like trans mass. Yeah, sure. And for like our straight mates yes. who are listening, who maybe don't have an LGBTQI mate or family, yeah. I mean, get involved, grab one. But... When you talk about transition, there's lots of different transitions you God, can do. You so can many. do sort of a medical transition, which yep. might mean someone's going to have um, estrogen or testosterone mm. and maybe have some sort of surgery. Some people will have, will decide not to do any of that and just... Socially. And socially transition. So you decided that you wanted to explore the explore whether mm. you were non-binary. Yeah, and I think that was the first thing for me. So obviously um, acknowledging that I was non-binary mm -hmm. and what that meant to me um, was kind of its own separate thing because some people do. They acknowledge that they're non-binary. They ask people, they come out socially and they socially transition, which means that they ask people to refer to them um, with different pronouns. They might change their name. They might change the gendered spaces that they used, i.e. toilets. Um, um, so that is that. I thought that would be a really scary thing using different yeah, toilets. Absolutely, which isn't necessarily the case for just trans people because I've heard so many cases of like people that identify as female with short hair being yeah, dragged course. out of the female toilets oh, for having yeah. short hair. Yeah, the bathroom bill in America, mm. which is like this, you know, the the Trump bathroom bill, which is, I mean, horrific. Um, is it scary? It was so scary, especially like if you don't pass, which means that you kind of look like the gender that you're, the gendered bathroom that you're walking into. If you don't pass, that going through that door can be incredibly scary, but you know that you're kind of staying true to who you are um, by doing so. And I, I just kept doing it. I just kept going in. I luckily haven't, hadn't experienced any kind of, uh, anyone saying anything or trying to remove me, but I know so many people that have. Um, yeah, but it's incredibly daunting. But that, yeah. that was part of the social transition for me. So it was really important for me to start doing that, even though I found it found it so difficult. Like, and yeah. although you identify as non-binary, you yeah. would use. I prefer to use male bathrooms. Sure. But if there's a gender-neutral option, you know, That's or preferable. disabled, I'll just you know I'll use that okay. because there's no you know I'd rather use a non-gendered bathroom so um, that you don't have to deal with any of it. So I don't have to deal with it. So you decided that you wanted to sort of yeah. transition medically as well? Yes, yeah. And and um, a really, like, amazing way of describing that, like, nowadays, and so many people use this this phrase, we use gender confirmation. Yeah. Or gender affirmation. Gender affirmation, yeah, great. Yeah, I think yeah. it's one of the... Yeah, so that's the term, we, and I love that, because it's like, yeah, I'm affirming who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I do see it as a change, so I do sometimes refer to it as transition. Um, mm -hmm. And in the medical sense, I started taking testosterone just over two years ago now. And um, what, what, what does that mean? What, what does that... Like, you know, do, do you inject it? Well, I did at the time. So this... This is kind of how some some trans people have to resort to self-medication. Okay, sure. Um, the waiting lists with the Gender Identity Clinic in London are just huge. They're, uh, they've taken up to four years to, wow. to even get an assessment. People can't wait that long. We're talking about people's lives. And I think that a lot and of mental health. I mental mean, health, huge, absolutely. Right? And I was very much at the point where I just <clears throat> I knew I couldn't wait. So that was something that I did do. Um, and I was supported by my local GP. Great. And I was then bridged, which meant that I was prescribed as a result of self-medicating. So what they did is they... Um, uh, made sure that I was doing it safely and said, rather than you going off and getting your own stuff, we have a duty of care to make sure that you're doing something safely. Okay, sure. Um, and, 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 and then you're still... 
so it's called tea, isn't it? For yep. those that don't know, tea, testosterone. testosterone. Yeah. That's it, yeah. And so you inject it. You can inject it or you can take a gel. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. where'd you just where? rub, it, rub it on my tummy. So okay. you just rub it into your body. You do it daily. And that's and, that. And then you like start on the moisturizer. seeing changes. And then you start t- seeing changes, yeah. And I'm not... I was I was informed that if I had a partner, not to sort of like rub bodies within sort of the four hour okay, period sure. because they'd also start transitioning. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, sure, 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 sure. But they were like, yeah, their voice might drop. They You're might okay, grow a yeah. bit of hair, so you might want to uh, sort yeah. of stay away from each other for four hours. But okay. yeah, this is like applying some cream essentially, and then um, very well. Yeah, I say very quickly, but there are some immediate changes that do happen quite rapidly. Which are uh, like uh, downstairs stuff right, changes. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Something grows. Yeah. Down there. Sure. Um, voice drop can happen pr- pretty quickly. Well, so I know because I saw you maybe after you've been on tea yeah, for like, seven months, eight yeah. months, something like that, and I immediately just went, "You look really handsome." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but right. ch- like yeah. your face, like your, the shape yeah. of your face, it's chiselled, changed. Yeah. yeah, I was like immediately putting my hands on your face. I don't know if I was. I don't know if you even said that I was allowed to do that. But I was like, look at your face. You look so handsome. I know. It's such the changes are just wild. Like you essentially, so you go through puberty. Right. Okay. That's essentially what I went through male puberty, and I'm still going through male puberty. Um, okay. Which is an experience. Sure. Yeah. And so then you. Decided to yeah. Well, then you. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm holding my boobs, and you're holding your chest, and oh, that's what you can't see. <laughs> you're you're holding um, your. Bo- so you decided to have top surgery. Yeah. So that, but that, I only did that six months ago. Yeah. So that that happened six months ago. And just so you know, listener, when I I haven't seen Jules since they had top surgery, and as they walked towards me today, <laughs> they lifted up their top. They lifted up their top immediately so that I could see their chest. Like, any chance to get sort of naked? <laughs> this is why that's I've been so, ill. I've been so ill all winter because I keep getting naked. But that's so. I mean. Considering when we started the podcast when you were saying about your sex life when you were a lesbian and you right. never wanted to take any of your clothes off, yeah. now you can't wait to get nude. Oh, yeah, all the time. Okay, fine. I just can't <laughs> wait till the summer. I've just been waiting for it for, like, my entire life. Because um, it'll be your first summer where you can take your top yeah. off. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I can't even fathom. I haven't Wearing been swimming. Wearing swimming shorts. Um, but, I, yeah, I'm just so happy and so comfortable in my skin. So... What was that like when you like looked down and you didn't see boobs that felt like they didn't belong to you? Is it? God, it's so weird because like I thought I was gonna have surgery, come out, and then it was all gonna be like, yeah, I've had top surgery. And actually, um, I had surgery. I was in bed for two weeks. I had loads of padding and a binder. I had to wear like a surgery binder for six weeks so you- after top surgery. So it didn't really feel like I'd had it for such a long time because I was like still compressed. Because they, they compress it when you're healing. Yeah, you have to Is compress right? it while okay. you're healing. Um, but the day that I took like the six week mark when I took my um, surgery binder off I remember like I did take it off a couple of times and put tops on just to like try just them see out what like. yeah and uh, I remember just thinking oh my god like this is like everything that I've been waiting for like it, it was total freedom for me it really was like the cherry on the cake so you're now modeling well um so I attended my first casting a couple of weeks ago and what kind of modeling is it so Essentially, I mean, modelling has typically been very binary and there's very little representation of, like, trans bodies and mm-hmm. queer, queerness. Like, it's always been quite quirky. Um, but, the, you know, there's very little trans representation in, in the majority of the media and fashion being one of them. But there are some incredible trans um, models and non-binary models. Uh, and it's something that I, I just felt really inspired by. I attended the London Queer Fashion Show last September and Ms Kimberley's uh, trans fashion show, show last year, which was the first London trans fashion show ever. 
Okay. Sorry, just to be clear, when we're talking about, so we're talking about like a queer fashion show. Does that mean the models are queer, the designers are queer, like all, all of the above, really? Right. Okay. Organizers. And, um, and with trans, it's about seeing bodies. Yeah. That are trans and then being sort of celebrated on the catwalk yeah. in front of everyone. And it was great. Absolutely. I went to both of them and I was in tears at both because I'd never in my life just seen a show where trans and queer bodies were celebrated. Like I'd been so used to, to sort of witnessing this like binary like media world where it's only ever like male and female models and then all of a sudden there's all this diversity and incredibleness um, but to see a trans person like walking down the catwalk and being proud of who they were just had such a profound effect on me and it, it just inspired me. I thought this is the first time that I've been inspired to celebrate my own self and, and your body yeah which is new for and you pave the way f- and say do you know what like why can't non-binary and trans people be, why can't anyone be a model why mm-hmm. can't anyone celebrate who they are and celebrate their body and that's been such a big part of my journey is getting to the point where i feel comfortable enough to do that and therefore i'm like i'm gonna gi- i'm gonna give it a go i mean i think that's brilliant why not <laughs> and how has it been coming out a second time to sort of I guess your community has changed somewhat because you've already got quite a lot of trans friends yeah um, but I know that your mum's been you took your mum to a trans awareness course that was my basically my way of coming out so I was involved in helping organize actually like a, a trans awareness like uh, trauma conference uh-huh. and there was a speaker that came over from LA like a really amazing speaker called Becky Cohen who's incredible uh, trans psychotherapist uh, who did a whole day's training on like trans awareness and I basically said to my mum it, it would mean a lot to me if you came to this like conference with me and she was like yeah yeah sure so I took her along and um, sort of like I think it was like midway through the conference I turned like we were having a cigarette um, and I turned around to my mum and I said yes yeah, so I'm trans <laughs> and she said oh yeah well uh, yeah I know oh really and then I turned around and I said what really and she said well I didn't know but I definitely think that like I knew I just couldn't put my finger on it like it's almost like it made sense to her right. that I, I was trans um, and she was really happy about it like she really embraced it and just so you can be someone who identifies as trans and mm. then you identify as non-binary yes that's, that's right yeah that's i'm getting the lingo right because yes. i feel like see i can do this with you because we're old friends and you know that i'm always yeah. trying to get it right no absolutely but that's the thing isn't it if people are trying mm. to make an effort to get it right and occasionally they might get it wrong and someone pulls them up on it that's that's, that's okay I mean, as long as it i mean honestly you can't speak for everyone obviously but no. I think, like, um, obviously, you know, it's difficult uh, for sort of trans people to have sometimes have these conversations because, it, you know, they shouldn't have to. But there are other people that are quite happy to have these conversations. And I'm someone who does it for a living. Like, you know, I spent yeah. two hours today, like, talking to a whole room of, you know, teachers from boarding schools and really kind of challenging perceptions sure. and talking about my own experience. And I'm perfectly comfortable with that. And I personally, I always say that, like, I think people assume because you're trans or because you're LGBT that you're somehow born with all the information and that's just not true. And I often make mistakes, like I do misgender people, I get pronouns wrong and I have to back up and apologise and, you know, and sometimes I shame myself for that but I think, hang on, I was born in the same world as everybody else. Yes, like I got here sooner, like Mm -hmm. I deconstructed that conditioning within myself much sooner than maybe other people do just because of the fact that I dealt with my own like gender dysphoria like the discomfort that I felt Mm -hmm. 
not having my gender and sex aligned and growing up in a world that, you know, I ha- I felt like I just started deconstructing that conditioning and therefore was introduced to a world that was a bit, you know, more understanding of, of these topics. But it doesn't mean that I didn't go through a process of learning. And I feel like getting it wrong uh, and messing up is a part of learning. Mm-hmm. And we all live in this heteronormative world. And some people got the opportunity to learn sooner than others. And mm-hmm. that's fine. But, you know, there's a difference between someone making a genuine mistake and then someone intentionally trying, trying to, to hurt you. Yeah, or absolutely. Di- or, you know, ridicule your existence exactly. or deny your existence. Like certain ITV hosts. Sure, absolutely. So how has your mental health been since you transitioned? It's like, it's just, you know, it's improved so much. Like, my eating disorder is non-existent. I, I've got a better relationship with my body now than I've ever had before. So I'm, cer- I'm certainly much better in terms of my eating disorder. In terms of depression or anxiety, I've still got a bit of anxiety now and again, but I'm certainly not depressed uh, or unhappy with my life. And I think it's because I've got such a community around me like I've got my own chosen family that support me on a day-to-day basis and I'm just so incredibly lucky and I think that that has helped me more than anything else is having those people around me and if someone was listening to this and thinking right what you are saying I'm really aligning with it they're saying things that I feel within myself what advice would you give them well um and i i have a lot of young people contact me often on like instagram and social media asking for advice and help and uh, i empathize with the younger community so much because sometimes when you're in like an environment with family you Mm -hmm. you just got when you're young you've got very little control over your own life and i think that's one of the hardest things about you know being a trans person is being younger and not being able to make decisions for yourself Mm -hmm. which you should be able to do because you are your own person um so in terms of like if you're young please contact like an organization like mermaids like have a look go online access the helpline and just get some support um and that kind of goes for anyone really just try and access some support because yeah stone will do a great amazing work as well they're completely inclusive absolutely so it's worth noting that and so If you could go back to, uh, let's say, um, oh, I hate the idea of of Jules when they were at school and they were having a horrible time with all those nasty people. But say when you were a little bit older, (coughs) like if you could pick up a phone and ring Jules when they were struggling, what do you think he would tell them about their future? I think I probably would have given my little self some some hope mm-hmm. I think that was something that I struggled to have over the course of my childhood and I would have said everything is going to be okay just hold on tight mm-hmm. like just believe that it's going to be okay because it will be and I'd probably suggest that you move to Brighton <laughs> <laughs> but you will you will get to the point where you are free from you know whatever is holding you back or any kind of discrimination or any kind of situation that you're in that is preventing you from being who you are at some point in your life you'll get that choice mm-hmm. and you've just got to hold on hold on tight get the support that you need in order to do that and I, I think I'd say the same thing to myself and I feel like currently, I mean, in press, on Twitter, all over the place, there's, you know, it's quite easy to find some negativity. I mean, there's hope Mm. out there too. There's absolutely hope out there. And there's allies out there all over the place. But how could people make things a little bit easier for someone like you? You know, well, what can what can I do? The media has such a big part to play in all this. Like, it's 
and really we have to i hate to say this hold the producers accountable for this mm -hmm. because actually when you're giving a platform to people who are airing these incredibly problematic views this kind of ideology you know my feminism and my rights as a lesbian isn't threatened by anyone yeah, in the trans absolutely. community i'll be your ally you'll be my ally totally we're fighting for the same thing and for some reason you are like segregating us as this kind of like separate community of people and we're working towards inclusion and the equality of a minority group where there are incredibly high statistics of mental health like suicide statistics like yeah. I, I find it absolutely unacceptable that like almost half of trans youth have attempted suicide. That's not even thought about it, that's attempted. The fact that that's happening, like then that was a statistic from 2018. And we're still, these these views are being aired on mainstream television. It's like- And in newspapers. And, and it's in not, newspapers. And it's left and right. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they're more right than there are left. And these ideas are being filtered out into, you know, they're poisoning the minds of parents that might have children who are trans or coming out to them. Like, what kind of effect is that having on on, on young trans people? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it on some level might not directly be responsible, but I'm sure that the ripple effect of those views uh, are filtering out to, to those families. And yeah. I just, I hold them responsible and on some level accountable and, and ask for people to take personal responsibility about what they allow to be aired. Uh, and viewed on our mainstream media because I think that has such a big part to play. I feel like chatting to you is hugely inspiring. I'm, I'm really inspired by you and I'm so delighted you're my friend and I feel like I learn from you all the time. Now, if someone's listening to this and they think, right, okay, well, how can I do something just day to day? Um, you know, you can look up the charities, yeah. you can support them maybe, but is a really easy way if you're not sure about someone just asking their pronoun? Yeah. Like, like, does that make you feel good? Absolutely. If someone says, it's, hey, I'm not sure what to call you, am I? Yeah. You know, is that... Absolutely, I find it... Do okay. you feel seen? For me, it's a sign of respect. Like, uh, often people say, oh, but if I ask someone's pronouns, maybe that person will think that I've assumed they're trans and it might be offensive and I... I always say, look, most trans people are aware of non-binary identities. And also, gender identity isn't necessarily visible on the on the outside. Like, mm -hmm. our expression varies. They're, if you're asking somebody's pronouns, you're essentially saying, you know, I, I see you, tell me who you are, rather than me just making that assumption. Because on a day-to-day -day basis, I just go through the roller coaster, even within an hour of he, she, mate, ma'am. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, I end up with a headache. Yeah. Like, and just thinking, you know, if only someone would ask but also it's really interesting to view life through the lens of all these different gender identities because i'll tell you what there's something called passing privilege mm -hmm. um which a lot of the time means that when you pass as a certain gender you will experience some level of privilege being seen as a man oh i get i get it easy nowadays if i'm seen as a bloke you know there's really? almost some level of respect and it's just so bizarre for me because i've come from this sort of like female identifying history so you know, I identified as a female for such a long time to like being seen as a bloke. And it's like, you're right, mate. And it's almost like the special treatment. Right. That's so interesting. There's some extra level of respect that sort of come that came out of nowhere. But it makes sense, right? Because mm -hmm. there's still so much yeah. gender inequality even amongst women and men. So it's interesting to, to experience to have gone through, you know, what it means to be female and straight and gay. lesbian and yeah. gay and looking gay and then, you know, non-binary well, and then going into like what it means to experience the world as a man it's bizarre like and i'm still me 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, well, that's me. the thing. Well, that's the thing. That's why I wanted so much to have you on the show because you're just you. I'm just me. Yeah. With a new level of insight, which is in, is is quite fascinating, actually. This new kind of insight to the world. That's what this transition has brought about. Like, not only is has it brought about its own freedom um, and like improvement of of my life and my mental health, but it's also given me a huge insight and and I've learned a lot of that from the people around me as well. So I can't, you know, a lot of what I've discussed today I've learned from the people around me because you know I was ignorant and now I feel like I've just I've learned so much and it's it really is like mind-blowing to me <laughs> well I think people are going to learn a lot from listening to this thank you so Amazing. much Jules. thank you thank you mate well, I found that conversation so interesting and I really felt like I learned a lot. Even as someone that's part of the LGBTQ plus community, I am learning all the time. So thank you so much to Jules for coming on the show and thank you for listening. As ever, if you want to get in touch, the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com and please do remember to rate, review and share the podcast. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.